The lives of history's most creative figures show we don't have to work 80 hours every week to succeed in our lives' work. If sleep doesn't serve some vital function, it is the biggest mistake evolution ever made, Tilda Allen Rechtschaffen. The most productive people in the history of mankind organized their lives around the work they did. They lived lives that were full and memorable and accomplished important work by working only a few planned hours in the day and rested. Charles Darwin published 19 books in his lifetime, inclusive of technical volumes on climbing plants and barnacles, as well as The Descent of Man and The Origin of Species, working for an average of only four and a half hours every day. John Lubbock, successful British author of 29 books, parliamentarian for more than 30 years, scientist he invented the ant farm, pioneering archaeologist, banker, and baron accomplished all of his life's work by putting in only a few hours of work every day. In the 1950s, two psychology professors of the Illinois Institute of Technology, Raymond Van Zelst, and Willard Kerr, carried out a study of their colleagues' work habits and schedules and compared these with the number of articles each produced. Their research showed that the most prolific academicians did quality work for between 10 to 20 hours every week. Those who spent 35 hours a week working were half as productive as them, while those who spent up to 60 hours a week were the least productive. Overall, the data showed that on average, four to six hours daily of high-quality, deliberate work was what anyone needed to be productive. Deliberate work has four important attributes. It is focused, it requires sticking to a routine, it can only be sustained for so many hours in the day, day after day, and it is complemented by deliberate rest, deliberate rest being made up of lots of breaks in between work, and plenty of sleep after work. Deliberate rest is important because some of our most creative work happens when we take the kinds of breaks that allow our unconscious minds to keep plugging away at a problem even as we rest. We are most productive if we rise up early in the morning, every day, to work, and create a routine around our work which we follow consistently. Scott Adams, who draws the popular Dilbert comic strip, wakes up by 5 a.m., heads to his kitchen to pick up a cup of coffee and a protein bar, and settles into his home office by 5.10 a.m. to work, draw a couple of comic strips, write up blog posts, tweet, read and reply to emails and do some paperwork, for four hours. Around lunchtime, he heads out to his gym to work out. On this schedule, which he has kept for 30 years, he has succeeded in syndicating Dilbert in 2,000 newspapers in 65 countries and in 25 languages and has written 14 books in all five on the subject of cartoons, and nine nonfiction. The lives of creatives like Scott Adams show us that we can have long, productive careers if we start our work days early and following a well-thought-out routine. This way, we will be able to focus our peak creative energy on our most challenging work first and create the conditions that will foster inspiration. A morning routine, an early start, a strict work plan, creates space in our day for rest. Also, our creativity gets a boost as we work through the early morning hours and our subconscious minds get primed to keep the work going long after we might have switched our attention to work's counterpart, rest. Corporate types like Apple CEO, Tim Cook, Once Upon a Time PIMCO CEO, Bill Gross, and Twitter and Square CEO Jack Dorsey all start their days between 4.30 a.m. and 5.30 a.m. Architect Frank Lloyd Wright would wake up by 4 a.m., work for three hours, then go back to sleep. John Le Carre begins writing between 4.30 a.m. and 5 a.m. The same holds true for Ernest Hemingway and John Cheever.
Maya Angelou was in the habit of renting a hotel room for a few months, for which she would leave her home by 6 a.m., begin work by 6.30 a.m. and would write until lunchtime. Gabriel Garcia Marquez wrote 100 Years of Solitude during his morning hours. The early morning hours are our most productive because of inhibition. Inhibition is our ability to stay focused on a job task at hand and suppress task irrelevant thoughts. It is highest when we feel most alert and active, during our morning hours, and lowest when we are energy-starved and need a nap, our afternoons. Sticking to a routine, concentrated periods of focused work, by working the same hours of the day, every day, is important for maximizing our productivity. Just as a regular bedtime enables us to sleep better, a regular routine causes us to habituate ourselves. A routine enhances our creativity and creates the landing space for our muse. Shared routines help a group work better. Routines are effective because they don't tap into our willpower, resilience, or intrinsic motivation, thus leaving us to focus our mental energies on solving the problems at hand. Routines save us energy, and enable fast, creative action. Routines also protect the time we set aside for rest, because without rest, we cannot be creative, but if we are creative with our routines, we are able to rest. Walking can unleash unexpected insights on us if we have had long periods of preparation and incubation. Everyone who practices deliberate work and deliberate rest is known to be a walker. Walking and thinking have been demonstrated to be complementary, since the beginning of time. Walking is a natural activity we can use to clear our minds or get a fresh perspective on a pressing problem. It gives us a chance to converse with ourselves, when taken alone, or with others when we have company. It exercises us and enables us to afford solitude. Thomas Jefferson, as U.S. Ambassador to France and later as the President of the U.S., made walking at least five miles a part of his daily routine. C.S. Lewis formed the habit of taking afternoon walks during his days as a student preparing for his entrance examinations into the Oxford University. Charles Dickens regularly took 10 to 12 mile long walks in the afternoons, and sometimes as much as 18 miles when he had trouble on his mind. Former Uber CEO Travis Kalanick would walk 40 miles a week on an indoor track at the company's San Francisco headquarters. Tony Schwartz, a noted business writer, once stated that many executives who are smart maintain their energy levels by taking afternoon walks to recharge. This is true. For example, at Apple, LinkedIn, Google, and Facebook, walking meetings and walking, in general, are part and parcel of the work culture. Walking unleashes creativity too. Howard Florey and Ernst Chain, jointly developed the penicillin with research birthed from ideas they jointly brainstormed during their joint walks home through Oxford University's parks. James Watson and Francis Crick regularly walked the grounds of Cambridge University together after lunch to report their research progress to one another and contemplate next moves, and both went on to discover the structure of the DNA. Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, and Richard Taylor walked the hills above Stanford University's Center for Advanced Study in the Behavioral Sciences in the late 1970s and jointly explored the core ideas that would later become the foundational theory of behavioral economics. Walking relaxes and diverts the attention of our conscious minds, leaving our subconscious minds to solve hard problems. Geneticist Barbara McClintock was able to identify the tiny chromosomes in the plant mold Neurospora, as she walked around the Stanford University campus. Werner Heisenberg's uncertainty principle came to him as he walked late nights in Copenhagen in 1927. The design for Erno Rubik's Rubik's Cube came to him as he walked along the banks of the River Danube and watched the ripples generated on its surface. 
In all three cases, as well as in all other similar cases not mentioned, long periods of preparation and incubation yielded awesome insights. Following Graham Wallace's well known model for creativity preparation first, incubation next, then insight. McClintock first came across the Neurospora years before she took the fateful walk on the grounds of Stanford University. Also, she had been working constantly in her lab for at least a week before her epiphany. Heisenberg, on his part, had been working on the uncertainty problem for almost two years before his fateful walk in the parks of Copenhagen that yielded him his insight. And Rubik had spent three months on the Rubik's Cube's design problem, filling his apartment with hundreds of failed prototypes. Afternoon naps, right after the lunch hour, for between 20 and 30 minutes, is physically and mentally restorative. Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of the UK during the Second World War stopped all work and took a nap at midday. According to him, the nap maintained his mental balance, renewed his energy and revived his spirits. Winston Churchill's example would go on to inspire at least two presidents of the US, John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. Just as elite athletes are tuned into their physical conditions and energy levels, we are often aware of our mental states. An afternoon nap can recharge our mental batteries and restore us to balance physically. Afternoon naps also give us the creative boost required to generate new ideas. Ray Bradbury, who wrote The Martian Chronicles in 1949, would return home at 2 p.m. from his parents' garage office out of where he worked to nap, before returning there to continue with his work. J.R.R. Tolkien, author of fantasy tomes like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, had the habit of returning home from lectures or tutorials for lunch and a nap. Author, Haruki Murakami takes power naps a lot, right after lunch, on the sofa, for 30 minutes, by his account, as soon as he wakes up, his body is not sluggish and his mind is totally clear. Studies, like those of neuroscientists Sarah Mednick and Olaf Lahl at the University of Dusseldorf, showed that a short nap of around 20 minutes would increase our alertness and mental clarity, and reduce any fatigue we feel. Also, it will boost our ability to concentrate by giving our bodies the chance to restore lost energy. When short afternoon naps are irregular, our memory performance improves over time because our minds will learn to consolidate new knowledge. Naps also help workers to avoid mistakes and bad behavior as graduate research student Jennifer Goldschmidt of the University of Michigan found out. Naps are powerful tools for recharging our energy and focus. Short afternoon naps benefit everyone, even the serious-minded ones amongst us. After all, Winston Churchill, as Prime Minister of the UK, still found time to take his afternoon naps, even when the fate of the UK and Europe hung in the balance during the Second World War. Lastly, research shows that the best time for the afternoon nap is the hour after lunch, and for 20 to 30 minutes. Too little, and the nap would not be helpful, too much, and one would end up being groggy. Deliberately stopping work, in the middle of work, when we know what to do next, will help us pace our work and make us more productive in the long run. Stopping work at the right time is also a form of deliberate rest, the right time being that point in time when we know what needs to be done next on our job tasks or when we still have some little energy left. The practice will help us keep our work pace steady and make us become more productive in the long run. Also, it will trick our subconscious mind to continue working even as we rest. Alan Burns, screenwriter of The Munsters and The Mary Tyler Moore Show, always stopped writing when he was in the middle of something good and he knew where it's going to go, according to Matthew Weiner, a colleague of his. Roald Dahl would deliberately leave something unfinished so that he would never have to come back to a blank page the next morning. 
Deliberately stopping work teaches us to pace our work and makes us become more productive in the long run. Being able to pace our work means we will be able to do higher quality work and get more work done per time. Creative work, and indeed any work for that matter, is a marathon, not a sprint. Once you set the pace, the rest will follow, according to Haruki Murakami. When we deliberately stop work, mid-work, we take helpful breaks that help us with insight. The breaks help boost our creative thinking as our conscious minds become interrupted and the rest from the breaks gives it back its force and freshness. More importantly, work doesn't stop during the breaks, because our intuitive subconscious mind would have taken over the work tasks. Our night's sleep is good and restorative when we are able to sleep through the five distinct stages of sleep. Sleep, an entirely natural activity, is the original deliberate rest. For centuries, we viewed sleep as an inactive state we become when our minds and bodies shut down. Sleep research carried out since the 1930s have since put a lie to this view. Sleep, for the human species, is an active state during which our brains consolidate memories, do repair works on physically damaged parts and generate dreams. Our lives depend on the restorative work of our brains while we sleep. A good night's sleep is when we completely disconnect from our active lives for about seven hours on the average. At its end, we are well rested, even though our brains have been hard at work. During the day, our bodies would be preoccupied with the business of living, expending energy on motor activity and cognitive functions. As we sleep, our bodies go into maintenance mode and several activities take place. Energy is stored, damaged cells are fixed or replaced and cell growth happens. As these activities play out in our bodies, our brains clean out toxins, processes the day's events by moving them into short or long-term memory and work on problems that our conscious minds were preoccupied with just before we fell asleep. All of these activities in our bodies and in our brains happen during the deep sleep phases of our night's sleep. A good night's sleep takes us through five distinct stages. We begin to drift off in stage 1, as we experience small bursts of electrical activity, spindles and spikes, in our brains. From stage 1 through to stage 2, the spindles and spikes begin to vary as they change to low-frequency delta waves. As these low-frequency delta waves arrive, we slip into stage 3 of our sleep, the first deep sleep stage of the night. By the time the spindles and the spikes from the first two stages of sleep completely disappear, we would have dropped into the deepest stage of our sleep, stage 4, also known as the slow-wave sleep. Finally, we enter the fifth stage of our night's sleep, the rapid eye movement REM stage of our night's sleep. Our best night's sleep happens during stages 4 and 5. It is during these two stages that our brain grows and repairs, our memories consolidate and dreaming takes place. Our brains also become more complex because of specific biochemical processes that take place during REM sleep. For us humans, sleep is absolutely necessary for our optimal functioning. Sleep deprivation will cause us to experience fatigue, impede our situational awareness, slow down our reaction times and increase our procedural errors and forgetfulness. When we sleep less, our stress levels go up and cognitive performance drops. Also, sleep deprivation lowers our body's immunity and decreases our body's ability to fight off infections. Sleep has also been instrumental in preserving our species. Primatologists believe our ancestors were less prone to predatory attacks by animals at night because they slept less, relative to other primates. And because they slept less, they had more time during the day to gather food, care for their young, develop new skills and share knowledge with their families and kin. 
The deeper and shorter sleep also enhanced their cognitive abilities, which, coupled with the need to be safe, led them to innovate and produce products like beds, shelters, and controlled fires, as well as to decide to live together in communities. When we detach periodically from our work by taking vacations, we are able to replenish our reserve of mental energy, and recover mentally and physically from the stress of the work we do. If we work at unpredictable, high-stress jobs that require a lot of focus and emotional control, or we just love and are passionate about what we do, we need to detach from our work once in a while to rest and recover mentally and physically. To detach here means to set aside our work completely and attend to other matters. The practice will help us prevent burnouts. An individual who suffers a burnout will be exhausted, suffer a decline in performance, have poor decision-making capabilities and be more error-prone at work. Burnouts contribute to declines in organizational productivity because of the stress and employee turnover it creates. Experts believe burnouts can be treated or prevented in one of two ways. The first is through a medically supervised rest cure in which the person suffering a burnout is restricted to a bed, sometimes inside a dark room for several weeks, and a simple diet. The second way is through primitive living, doing plenty of exercises and SPENDING lots of time outdoors. We tend to prefer the second option, hence our preference for long, leisurely vacations. There is so much mental energy we have in our reserves, and our work depletes it. By spending time away from work, we are able to replenish it. Unfortunately, a lot of people do not think vacations are necessary. They cannot imagine leaving work for two or three weeks at a time. They get scared of the backlog of work that will be left undone and the emails that will not be replied to if they left for a vacation. But when we don't take vacations, we pay a steep price. For example, American workers forfeit $52.4 billion in earned benefits every year when they don't take their vacations. And there are health costs too. Several studies show that those who don't take vacations are more likely to have heart disease and a higher mortality than those who did. Companies also pay a price when their workers don't take their vacations. According to a study done in 2015 by Oxford Economics, unused vacation time impacts corporations' balance sheets by $224 billion every year. Also, their workers are prone to burnouts and thus become less empathetic to their colleagues and the corporation's customers. In extreme cases of burnout, depression and suicide become possibilities. Creatives pass up opportunities for aha moments when they refuse to take or delay their vacations. Several creative breakthroughs happened during vacations. Lin-Manuel Miranda got the idea for Hamilton as he read Alexander Hamilton's biography while vacationing in Mexico, while Lyman Spitzer, a Princeton physicist, thought up the design for the fusion reactor while skiing in Aspen, Colorado, in 1951. Kevin Systrom came up with the idea for Instagram while he was vacationing in Mexico in 2010. Thus, the data suggests that overwork and the delay of vacations do not benefit the individual or the corporation. In the long run, everyone loses in errors committed on the job, lost productivity, higher turnover and truncated careers. Exercising regularly will boost our intellectual abilities. In the late 1950s, Bernice Idison, a UCLA sociologist, began a study that aimed to discover what made great scientists stand out from their peers. The research found that the best scientists are also athletes. So intellectual activity and athletic ability are not mutually exclusive. Each complements the other, and examples of this abound around us. 
Byron White, the Supreme Court Justice once played professional football for the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Detroit Lions. Also, John Urschel published his first article for a journal during his second season as an offensive lineman and went on to begin graduate work in applied mathematics at the MIT in 2016. Niels Bohr and his brother, Harold, were nationally ranked football players. Marie Curie was an avid cyclist. Thomas Pelham Curtis, electrical engineer at the MIT and inventor of the electric toaster and the blender, won gold in the 100-meter hurdles at the 1896 Olympics. Exercise helps us to age in a healthy way, increases our brain power, boosts our intelligence and provides us with the stamina and the psychological resilience we need to do creative work. Cognitive tasks are physically tasking, especially the ones that require that we focus for long periods of time. For example, several chess grandmasters exercise daily as part of their training. Exercise improves our brain structure by boosting the production of neurotrophins, proteins that encourage the formation and growth of neurons. Exercise boosts creativity. For example, a long walk is known to stimulate new ideas at the moment, while a long run stimulates new ideas after the moment. Both improve our ability to turn good ideas into creative works. Aerobic exercise strengthens the cardiovascular system and improves circulation so that more blood, oxygen, and sugar, can get to the brain while it is at work. Also, smaller blood vessels form in the brain when we do aerobic exercises, which also aid in delivering nutrient-rich blood to our brains. Regular exercises relieve stress and increase our capacity to deal with the pressures of difficult jobs. Lastly, engaging in incremental strenuous exercises will retrain our body's reaction to stressors and increase our capacity for calmness in stressful, real-world situations. Former U.S. President, Barack Obama, had a fitness routine he adhered to throughout his political career, first, as a senator and then, as the president. And at least two Supreme Court justices, Elena Kagan and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, are known to engage in a daily regimen of exercise. Conclusion Deliberate rest is deliberate work's counterpart. We cannot work meaningfully and achieve our life's potential if we do not rest meaningfully. And there is no resting meaningfully if we do not work meaningfully. So both are enmeshed. One leads to the other and without one, the other would be without meaning. And just as we take time to work deliberately, we also need to rest deliberately. Try this, what work do you consider to be your life's work? How can you accomplish your life's work putting in four to six hours of deliberate work every day? Create a plan and outline it in your journal. Create a physical exercise regimen for yourself, if you don't already have one.